I've been speaking for the last few weeks a series entitled Built to Last. We started in the beginning of the book of Ezra because we talked about the fact that this was a three-part building project in the restoration of the temple. And we find in the beginning of this book a man by the name of Zerubbabel. He is the one who led the children of Israel, the first group of people. He led them back into this place and where they were going to build, rebuild the temple. And the first thing that they do within this building project is they restore the altar of worship. They restore the altar. And when we discussed this altar, we well, I, I tried to point out the fact that the first thing that he did when he established this altar was they began to worship and worship is important for us because it deals with our personal devotion our personal relationship with God and while this altar that we see here found in the book of Ezra is an altar that is in the middle of the neighborhood so to speak that everybody can see when we apply this altar situation to our lives we must understand that the first thing that God wants to do in rebuilding you or establishing anything is he wants to establish worship. He wants to establish intimacy between you and him because out of that intimacy, everything else will flow. And from that intimacy is where everything is going to stand when situations become difficult. Amen, somebody. And so we find that under Zerubbabel's leadership, they rebuilt the altar, establishing the worship and the devotion to the Lord. And then the second portion of the building project, you remember, they laid the foundation and the people rejoiced and wept at the same time, in the same moment. And that foundation symbolized the next level, which was them now beginning to take their personal and private devotion and make it a public thing. Now they were, they were going to build the place where everybody who walked by could see that's the house of the Lord. That is the building project of Almighty God. And so under Zerubbabel, these things have occurred. And now in chapter 7, we meet this man by the name of Ezra. And Ezra's name means Jehovah helps. And so he comes on the scene as a representative. And notice in this scripture, he communicates in verse 9. You'll see there, it says, On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And so when Ezra enters into the picture, we get to understand something that everything that has been established thus far is simply because God's hand was upon these people. It is not because they were so great or they were so wonderful, but it was because of God's sovereign hand upon them, which gives us to understand that anything that we accomplish, whether we acknowledge him or not, it is simply because his hand is upon us. Anything that we are going to fulfill, it is not because we are so great, so talented, so cute, or whatever it is. It is because of the hand of the Lord that is upon us, and it becomes important for us, vital for us to ensure that we maintain ourselves under the covering of almighty God under the hand of almighty God that we walk in direction of, of the Lord that we walk according to his pattern because when we're talking about building church remember this is not just about building your castle this is about building his kingdom this is about extending his kingdom in this earth and so everything that we talk about is about that one thing about his dwelling place amen so we find him as he comes on the scene as a representative of God's help because everything they did, they did it because of God's help. He's his representative of this, but also he comes in here not only as a representative of God's help, 
but also as a representative of God's inspection. Hello, somebody. You see, we, we, we all want God's help, but we don't want God's inspection. We, are, we all want God to assist us wherever we are, either to get out of whatever we're in or to get to where we know we should be. Hallelujah. See, because whenever we think about God's help, I'm going to repeat this later on, but whenever we think about God's help, we automatically think, and, and I know this I know this is like, this is what happens automatically. We sit down in our seat, right, and we're there, and we hear God's help, and we evaluate our life in like three milliseconds, and we're like, okay, I don't need God's help. Everything is good in my life, so I'm good. So what we do is we shut off the preacher. Please do me a favor. Turn me back on for a moment. Because I don't care how good it is. My brother or my sister, you need God's help. Amen? You're breathing today because God helped you. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing, right? Yeah, y'all said something that time. Glory to God. Just not loud enough for me. Hallelujah. It's all right. I'm just joking. Listen, listen. You need God's help to get up in the morning. You got up because he helped you. Hello, somebody. You're able to eat. You're able because he helped you. If he stopped helping you, you would cease to be. So please don't just shut the preacher off because, you know, you don't need God's help because everything is all good around you. Mm -hmm. As the inspector, he comes into this situation, into this environment, and it is like 59 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7. We think like it's a day, you know, or something like that. But it is actually a 59-year gap from chapter 6 to chapter 7. This is where you fit the book of Esther. So everything you read about the book of Esther, you know when it occurred? In between chapter 6 and chapter 7. That's where all that wonderful stuff fits in in the chronological history of the scriptures. And so 59 years later, it's inspection time. See, it's easy to get inspected, you know, the week after. The day after, you know, you, 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 you did everything that needed to be done. But see, there's something that happens in the city of Oviedo annually, especially now because, you know, budgets are so tight. Hallelujah. They want to make sure they get their inspections in. Glory to God. Because they charge you $25 every time they come and inspect you, whether you pass or fail. Hallelujah. They are hoping that you fail or they find something wrong because then they can go ahead and give you the first, you know, inspection fee. And then they give you a re-inspection fee. Hallelujah. Now, listen, 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 this, this is important because when they come in to inspect, you know, the day after the inspection happens, everything is in line. You know, the fire inspector comes in here, everything is perfect, exactly like they want it because I know exactly what they want. But see, a year later, mm -hmm, you forgot about the fire inspection. You, 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 you know, you, cl you cluttered up certain areas. You didn't make sure certain lights were illuminated and all that because, you know what, you forgot about the inspection. But guess what? They didn't forget about you. They have you on their rotation, and they're going to come and meet you in a year, give you a call, and say, listen, um, I'm looking for Jason Quinones. Um, I would like to schedule a time that I can come and do an inspection. Just like that. <laughs> now, listen, church. God doesn't call you up and say, okay, I'm coming to do an inspection. I would like to set up a time to do that. He just shows up, and he's like, all right, it's time to get some inspection done, praise the Lord. Here's the beauty of this is that inspection brings blessing and it should not be feared unless something is undone. Did you hear me? Inspection is a good thing. And what I want to talk to you today is a message I've entitled Building Inspection. 
because we're talking about this building and this building project and so I believe that we need to look at according to the scriptures here what Ezra does he comes on the scene to bring some inspection he comes on the scene to communicate you know back to the king or Texas about what's going on you'll see that that's the reason he goes over there to inquire as to how Israel is doing how is everything going over there because this king understood something see there's something that these kings even though they didn't love God they understood something they need to be on God's side even though they weren't serving the God of Israel, they understood who the God of Israel was. They understood history proved that if they were in opposition to the God of Israel, the God of Israel had this way of throwing plagues on you and destroying you because you weren't walking right with him. Hello, somebody. When King Cyrus went on ahead and he, he told him in the beginning, told Zerubbabel, listen, you need to go over there, rebuild this temple. I'm sending you with sacrifices because what? I want blessing. The same king, he said this. He said, when you go over there, make all of these sacrifices because there is no reason why the wrath of God should be against me or my sons. Hello. This is what he was communicating. They understood. Look, it, it's sad, church. Sometimes folks that don't serve God know they need God's blessing more than you. Did you hear me? Where do you think superstition comes from? Hello, somebody. Where do you think it comes from? It comes from somebody who really doesn't have a relationship with God, who really doesn't know God, just wants to make sure they're on God's side. It's impossible, right? But they're making every effort to ensure that, you know, and, and they're not even necessarily thinking about God, you know, throwing salt over their shoulder, don't want to break no glass, don't want to walk under. All that superstition stuff, what? Because, you know, brings this bad luck. So the cosmic beings, I guess, bring this bad luck, right? But regardless, they demonstrate an understanding that their life needs to walk in some level of reverence. Church, how we need to have that same mindset consistently and continually in our, in our lives. Hello. We find the first thing here. Please repeat this after me. God's help requires adherence to God's standards. If we are going to build anything that is going to last, it must be able to sustain us, it's, or it's got to be sustained by something greater than us, more powerful than any storm that will arise, and able to endure everyday wear and tear of life. We, if, if we're going to build anything that is going to be able to be sustained, anything that is going to last, it's got to come from a source that is greater than us. It's got to come from a source that's stronger than us. You look at your house. Listen, you might be He-Man, hello, or She-Ra, whatever it is, okay? You might be Hercules or Hercula, I don't know. But, but here's the thing. No matter how strong you are, <laughs> you, could, you could not hold your house together very long. Hello. If at all, because you're just not built to do that. But you need a you need source, you need something that is stronger, cement, all of these wonderful things that God has allowed to be found by man. And so we have these things that are able to sustain and able to stand firm against storms that come. That that's what's supposed to happen. It's the same thing in our lives. The only thing is there is one source, and it is God who is what? He is greater than us, his ways are higher than our ways, his wisdom is inexhaustible, and his knowledge is beyond our full knowing he is greater so if we're going to build anything we need to make sure that the one that is greater than us is the source that is going to sustain everything we're trying to build that's the reason why we need to pray before we make decisions because we need to ensure that the one who is greater than us is supporting us because again we may be talented we may be wise we may have knowledge we may have all kind of stuff going for us but if he is not sustaining us hello 
There's going to come a point in our lives that we are going to run into a roadblock, a place in our life where we're going to run into, I don't know, and where are you going to go? The one who's greater than you. So we know that he's greater than us, so we got that covered, and he's able to sustain us during the storm. Well, the Bible declares unto us that he is the rock. Hello, somebody. He is the rock that is immovable. He shows himself. And you know what? If God had a weakness, if he had a weakness, hear what I'm going to say. If God had a weakness, his weakness would be stronger than your greatest strength. If he had a weakness. He doesn't have a weakness, but if he had any weakness, his weakness would be greater than your greatest. What, what you were the best at, he would outdo you in his weakness. He has none, but if he did. Hello, somebody. See, this is, this is the God that we serve, the one who is able. You know what he did? He proves to us in his word. He shows us in Jonah's life, look, the storm is not going to kill you. I'm going to bring a fish that's going to swallow you up. And you know what? That storm's not going to destroy you. See, when Jesus is over here sleeping on the boat while these people are going through what happens, Jesus is over there sleeping, snoring, you know, whatever's going on. And these guys are all worried. God, gee, what you doing sleeping? He's like, what's wrong with y'all little faith? Rebuke the winds. He goes back and lay down. Hello. Showed himself almighty. When we go through the book of Acts, we've been going through the book of Acts, praise the Lord. And in the book of Acts, what do we find? We find him demonstrating again. The apostle Paul is on a ship. He's got somewhere to get. And as he is on his way, what happens? This great storm rises up. And what does God do? God shows himself again as being greater than the storms. Why is that there? It is there to encourage us that when storms arise, the most important thing is to ensure that your God is walking with you, that your God is is with you wherever you're going and that way you know that this storm is going to pass and I'm going to get through it hallelujah I'm not building for my glory or my king and the last thing is this because we have the wear and tear of life God does not change amen the Bible says he's the same yesterday today and forevermore therefore he is able to sustain you through the wear and tear of life he is able to sustain whatever it is whether it's a marriage whether it's a business whether it's your children whether it's your work situation whatever it is he is able to sustain that building if you will simply walk with him he doesn't change things are going to come situations are going to happen but he remains the same And as I said a little bit ago, and I'll just reiterate this, we do not just need God's help when we are going through trials. We need his help to breathe. We need his help to live. We need his help to move. And the way that we acknowledge the fact that we depend on and that we need his help is by constantly walking in obedience to the standards that are found in the word of God and measuring ourselves by those standards. You really, you, re- you really depend on God? Then my question is, how diligent are you in your searching of the word of God? We did communion this morning in chapter 11 of the book of 1 Corinthians. The apostle Paul is speaking to the people, and he tells them, listen, if you would examine yourselves, you would not be judged. Does he not say that? He said, if you would examine, he told him, he said, look, he said, because you don't really understand what this communion is really about, some of you, not all of you, Some of you are sick. He said, some of you, some of you are sleeping. And he don't mean taking a nap. He's saying some of you have died prematurely. Because of what? Because you have not examined yourself. Because you have not taken into account what you are doing. This is what what the word of God is saying. So what does that teach us? It tells us that if we would examine ourselves, we wouldn't go through a whole bunch of things. Hello? Hello? 
We wouldn't experience a lot of stuff if we would just be downright real with ourselves. Listen, you, you, we, we need to make positive confessions. Hello, somebody. We need to communicate that, you know, we are blessed and highly favored because this is what the word of God says. But listen, I was talking to someone the other day and I explained to them clearly, you cannot deny, listen to me, you cannot deny your reality, just ignore it. No, you acknowledge your reality and you proclaim the truth of God's word and you live the truth of God's word in your life and the reality in your life will, conf will conform and become aligned with the truth of God's word. But you cannot do that because, look, I just put it like this. If you are over here and say, because I've heard people say this before, you know, they, they don't want to claim sickness, okay? So that means you shouldn't ask for healing. Did you hear what I said? What on earth are you asking for healing for if you ain't sick? Did you hear me? If you are, not, I'm not sick, I don't claim that sickness, okay? Then just keep on walking and living like you ain't sick. With, you know, runny nose, looking crazy, whatever. But you ain't sick, uh-huh. Can't hardly breathe, body aching, but okay, don't ask for healing, no. Because now you're contradicting yourself. That's that. <laughs> Make sense? Nope. All right. Second point, let's move on. Repeat this after me. Inspection, Inspection is the work of God, and it is constant. In other words, God doesn't just come inspect you in the beginning and then inspect you in the middle. He's continuing to inspect our lives. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 27, it tells us that it is the spirit who searches the hearts of men. Amen? It is the Spirit of God who searches the hearts of men, inquires in the hearts of men, goes up in there, and he is looking in the hearts. He's looking at the condition of our heart. This is what the Word of God teaches us. So it is the Holy Spirit who searches our hearts. Now, I want you to turn here with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I want to get you to turn some pages in your Bible today. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. This is a familiar passage of scripture. Many of us know it by heart, glory to God. But for those of us who don't, let's just look at it and see what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 13. You got to say so? And look what the word of the Lord says. It says in verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh, I love that scripture. Listen, this is the reason why God doesn't go and call you up and say, hey, I'm coming to do an inspection. Because his word should be constantly inspecting your heart as you are before it. Did you hear what I said? Every day that you, if you're not, if you're not in the word every day, listen, you need to repent and get in the word every day. Why? Because this word needs to be inspecting your heart daily. Listen, we need a heart check every day. We need a heart check in the morning. We need a heart check in the evening. Some of us need a heart check in the middle of the day. Glory to God. We need to have our hearts checked consistently by the word of God. But if we're not in the word of God, hello, 
When are we going to be inspected? Now, notice what this word says here. It says, in, toward the latter part of verse 11, it says that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you know what that word discerner is? It is the Greek word kritikos. What does that sound like? Critique. Criticize. The word of God is the constructive criticizer of the issues of our heart. Hello, somebody. Because what? God is about building in our lives. He wants to build stuff. So what happens is the word of God enters into our lives to criticize, to look at what we're deciding or what we're desiring. And then what we begin to do is we begin to make the decision. Either I'm going to embrace what the word of God says or I'm going to rationalize. Do you hear me? I am either going to embrace what the scriptures are clearly communicating about my heart, about my desires, about me, or I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to rationalize this and just say, well, you know, I'm okay. No, 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 you ain't okay. If the word of God says you're not okay, you are not okay. The second thing here when we're dealing with the whole word of God is this, is that individually all we need is the Holy Spirit and the word of God to remain inspected. Listen, you as an individual, me as an individual, you don't need me. You don't need one of the pastors. You don't need your father, your mother. You don't need, listen, you don't need anybody to come and inspect you. The Holy Spirit can do that. But you know what the issue is? Can I tell you the issue? The issue is not everybody is submitted to the Holy Spirit. Not everybody is searching the word of God and being diligent about the scriptures. And so you know what God does? God raises up inspectors. Who are those inspectors? It's not just bishop. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the leaders. Go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I'm going to show you who these inspectors are. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 6. When you got it, say so. Look what it says here. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual. Let's just stop there. You who are spiritual. What does that mean? You who are walking on clouds, is that what that means? You who never sin, is that what that means? No, it means you who are spiritual. You who are living your life, not for this world, but for the kingdom to come. You who are, in tr who are truly in a relationship with God. You who are truly searching the word of God, not to point fingers, but first and foremost to look in the mirror and to allow your heart to be searched. You who are truly living a life that is bearing fruit. Hello, somebody. Listen, it's okay to acknowledge that you're spiritual. Hello. As long as you're not over-spiritual. As long as you don't think that you're Mr. or Mrs. Holy. Hello, somebody. Because in truth, if you are really that spiritual, you, you will not be walking around with your head up like you are all that. Because there's something that I realize. It is that the closer that we get to God, the more unworthy we begin to feel. The, the, the closer we get to him, that is the closer we begin to, or the more we begin to understand his holiness. And the more I've been in his presence, the more that I've been in his holiness, the more that I've been there, the more I begin to understand how unworthy, how incapable, how unrighteous I really am. 
you who are spiritual, you who take the word of God seriously for yourself first, you who are really in a relationship with Almighty God and allowing him to work in you, you are going to be grieved. Hear me. When you are really spiritual, you are going to be grieved over sin in people's lives. Hello? Why is that? Listen to me. Jesus Christ came and paid the ultimate price for our sin. And when you are in a relationship with the Savior who bore all of that stuff that he bore on that cross, guess what, church? As we walk and we live our lives, when we see the sin that nailed him to the cross, it grieves us. Because every time that we look at sin, see, so you, you, got, you got to get this. Every time that you look at sin or you see sin or you commit sin, there should be something that goes on inside of you that reminds you it was that behavior, it was those words, it was that action, it was that treatment, it was that stuff over there that nailed him to the cross. That's why it grieves you. It's not because you are holy. It's because you, you understand that the word of God gives you certain standards and it declares this is right and this is wrong. And you know that it was the things that are wrong that nailed him to that cross. And when that becomes your heart, then you can say, yeah, that, that's a person who is spiritual. It's a person who lives their life in light of that cross, in light of what Jesus did. And so he goes on ahead and he communicates to us. The apostle Paul shows us. He says, listen, he said, you who are spiritual, you're the inspectors. You don't have to have a title to be an inspector. Hello. You don't have to be a person who's up here preaching or teaching or singing. No, 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 no. You can be a person who's not called to any of that and still be spiritual. Hello, somebody. Everybody in the church, whether you are called to one of these five-fold ministry offices or not, whether you are called to be a leader in the church or not, everybody is called to be spiritual, church. Everybody is called to be spiritual. It's not higher for me because, no, no, no. It is all of us that are called to be spiritual and walk in a relationship and live our lives in light of that cross, live our lives wanting to bring glory and honor to God. So you're the inspectors of your spiritual person. And why is, it, why is inspection constant? Why does it continue to need to happen? Constant inspection is important because of what? It ensures the preservation of the original state of the structure and that deterioration is not occurring. Hear me. When they come and they inspect and they look at when you're going to go and buy a house or whatever the case is and you have somebody come and inspect the house, you know what they're going to do? They're going to look around this house. They're going to try to look at the foundation as best they can. They're going to look at the side of the house to see all of these different things. They're going to go up in the attic. They're going to see if there's mold anywhere. They're going to see if there's too many of those staircase cracks that go up the side of your house. They're going to look and see. They're, they're going to be looking at the side of your house to see, okay, you know, when the house was painted last five years ago, whatever the case is, there's, there's a gap in paint because now the sand is sinking down and so they're going to look at all of those things why because they want to ensure that the original state of that structure is being preserved throughout the years it's the same exact thing with almighty God why is it that he comes to inspect us well he wants to make sure that what we started that we're continuing because we know that he who began this good work in us glory to God will continue it and so he comes and he inspects because he started something good and you were in alignment and in agreement with him when he began this wonderful thing and he wants to make sure that you haven't changed your mind hello 
that you haven't forgotten that he is doing a work in you and he is not done church he wants to bring that thing to completion but if it's deteriorating if your zeal, if your passion, if your hunger for his righteousness is depleting, you're not going to get to the end of this thing. And the Bible tells us is he who endures to the end, mm -hmm. he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures, he who runs the race to the end of this thing is the one that gets the prize. It's not the one that started running as fast as they could. It isn't him or her. It's the one who completes it, church. And this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to complete what he has began in us, or he wants to complete what he began in us. The overall purpose of inspection is proactive, preventive safety. Hello. And I told you about the city of Oviedo when they come in here, the, you know, the fire inspector, when she or he is looking around and they're looking at these, you know, sprinkler heads and all of this kind of stuff. You know what they're doing? They're looking at, okay, if there's a fire. If there's a fire, everything's going to be covered. If there's, you see, because there's no fire right now. But in case of a fire, everything is going to be covered here. But see, it's not just about us. See, here's the thing you got to realize. I didn't understand this. When, a couple of months ago when we were looking at a property up the road to, to go in there, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't understand the whole concept of a firewall. I didn't understand what in the earth is the deal with this firewall. And what I began to understand is this, is when they tell you that it's a two-hour firewall, it is meaning that the people that are on that side of the wall, not this side, not in here. It's not about you in here. See, that, that's what we got to get, church. It's not about us in here. It's about how we're affecting the world out there. Did you hear what I said? It, it's not about us, you know, just getting our blessing. And our, no, no, no. It is about out there what God wants to do, right? Well, this two-hour firewall, what it does is it says if there is a fire in here, it gives them two hours to vacate the building. And that is their desire. Or, you know, and, and also, I mean, obviously, if there's a fire over there, it's going to give you two hours to get out of here. But here's what we've got to realize is that this inspection that God does, he does it for safety, your safety. Hello. He does it for the, pres for, for, the, uh, for, for the preservation of what he wants to do. Because if we are living foul and we are not living right, how do you think we're going to affect the world out there? Are we going to be able to bring lost, lost people into the kingdom of God when our lives don't look any better than theirs? I doubt it. So it's important that we undergo this inspection. The body of Christ church is in great need for inspectors with a heart like Ezra. What do the scriptures say to us about Ezra? Turn back with me, please, to the book of Ezra and look at the end of that chapter there or, or that, the verses that we read in verse 10. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, this man was a man that was truly after the heart of God. The Bible says in verse 10 there, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is how the inspector comes. God raises this man up who is skilled in the law. He is a man who is a priest and he is a scribe. He's a man that has this wonderful lineage, but more important than that lineage is he was someone who was devoted, who had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to search the scriptures. How desperately do we need men and women of God who are seeking the law of the Lord, who are seeking to find what are the principles, what are the standards, what are the things that God requires and desires of our lives? But not only that are searching those things, but that are also committed to doing them. See, here is one of the greatest disconnects within the body of Christ today, church. 
is that we'll search to find answers. But our issue is doing something with the answers. We will come to church and we will hear the preaching. We will hear the teaching. We will get counsel. And the issue is not bad counsel, not bad teaching, not bad preaching. It is bad application in our lives. Hello. Because we have got to be a people that are not devoted to just get our ears tickled. Hello, somebody. Who are not devoted to just hear this is what God requires, but a people who are ready to do what God says. See, and here, here's the other thing. is notice that he was going to teach it. He wanted to know what it said. He wanted to do it himself, and he wanted to teach it. We have got to be those people, church that are hearing what God says, that are doing what God says, and that are going to teach what God says. Because if we will teach what God says, we will help others learn what God says, and we will help them do what God says, and then they will teach what God says. And so what, what, what is that all about? All of that is about evangelizing, church. It is about reaching those who have not been reached yet because you have heard the word of God. You are living the word of God. You are sharing the word of God. And as you are doing those things, believe me, and and I want to encourage you in this. When we begin to do what God's word says, there is another level of authority that comes on our lives because we are not just hearers. See, that's the problem. When Jesus was preaching in his days, they were, they were astonished at him. They said because he was one who taught as having authority. He wasn't like all these other teachers. He wasn't like all these other people of that day. Because what? Because he was doing what he was preaching. He was living what he was communicating. And the reason why he had that authority is because there wasn't that disconnect between his studying and his teaching, but he was doing it, and that's what we've got to do, church. If we're not doing it, we intercept the whole power of conviction. Did you hear that? We hinder what God wants to do through us, and it's proved in Jesus' life. It's proven in Jesus' day because he demonstrated if you want to see the full authority of God, if you want to see the full manifestation of God, your lifestyle has got to be a conduit through which it can move. Hello. The third thing, and please repeat this after me, righteous requirements require radical response. Righteous requirements require radical response. You will notice when Ezra comes in, and if you read through this, and we will not read this for all of these chapters, but you'll notice that when he enters into this picture, in chapter 8, he comes in there. They have a time of prayer and fasting for God's protection. They get into the, in, in, into, the, into the city, and they bring the sacrifices to the altar. And then when you go over to chapter 9, after the sacrifices are done, in chapter 9, there's something happens. And we're going to read there beginning in verse 1, so please turn there with me. And it says this. It says, when these things were done, the leaders came to me, coming to Ezra, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of the daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders, rulers, have, has been foremost in the trespass. Now look at this response. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe. I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then 
everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Now notice what happens here. 59 years later, this inspection time comes. The time for the inspection happens. Ezra comes up on the scene. He doesn't just come to bring inspection and correction. The first thing he came was to bring blessing. You got to understand that, church. When God comes to inspect, he doesn't come because he wants to put you down or he wants to tear you up. He wants to give you blessing. As a matter of fact, this is a great picture of God's grace. Because before the inspection takes place, before any of that stuff, the blessing comes. They offer the sacrifice and they receive the gold for the temple and all of these things. And now the situation happens where the inspection part begins to occur. They come and they tell Ezra, listen, in these 59 years, we were all excited when we first started. Stirred up. We, want, we, 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 we wanted to rebuild this altar and this temple and everything was good. But as the generations passed and time passed, we made some bad decisions. We didn't stay aligned with what the law of God was. And so we turned away and we mixed the holy seed with something impure. Inevitably, this is what we would call a failed inspection. Because what? This is the reason why you guys went into bondage in the first place. Because you were mixing your beliefs with the wrong belief system. Because you were worshiping false gods. You were allowing yourselves to be drawn away from the true and holy God. This is what he's communicating. You were allowing your hearts to be turned away from, from pure worship. And you began to compromise. And so again, 59 years later, it is as if you were never in bondage. It was as if you never suffered the consequences of sin. And now Ezra, he hears this and his heart is broken. He is astonished that these people who were in bondage and, and, and were under the, this captivity, he, 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 he cannot believe that they have gone through all of this mess, get delivered from the mess, and now they're in freedom and they're turning back to the same thing that brought them into the mess. Does that make any kind of sense, church? And that is what so many of us do. So many of us cry out to God, God, deliver me from this situation. God, set me free from this circumstance. God, help me get out of this. And then he gets us out of it. We experience the freedom. And then we, it's like we forgot what we were crying out about. We forget what it was that brought us to our knees. We forget what it was that made us fast. We forget what it was that brought us to that place. And you want to know what is one of the keys to getting to, to, to forgetting about where you were? It's hanging out with the wrong people. Listening to the wrong voices. Listening to those counsel or that counsel that brought you to that place before. What was their sin, church? They had intermarried. They got together with these folks that led them astray before. And instead of recognizing, wait a second, we cannot connect with them because us connecting with them is going to hinder us from getting to where God wants us to be, they start listening to the wrong voices. Because that's what this is all about, church. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
but it's against powers and principalities and wickedness. It's against spiritual forces. And all the enemy wants is not about he, she, them, or they. No. If they'll be the vessel to speak that bad counsel, that's all they need to be. Hello. And so they're there, failed inspection. But this guy, he does, he, he, he does something crazy. He pulls out his hair, glory to God. This is what he does. He, he pulls his hair out. For me, I wouldn't be able to do that. Grab my little goatee and start pulling hairs out. This, this, this how, I mean, he was just dumbfounded. How can this be? He was so excited to come over there and be with them. But no, they have this wrong heart. But here's the beauty of this. Let me encourage you. Failed inspection doesn't mean we're left without hope. It simply means we must respond accordingly. Did you hear me? Failed inspection doesn't mean there's no hope. Failed inspection doesn't mean it's over. Failed inspection means you need to get in line. You need to fix some stuff. You need to get some things in line with the word of God. That's all failed inspection means. They went and they had this moment of repentance. He had this moment of repentance. And there's something that you'll find is that whenever the word of God is preached, whenever the word of God is brought forward, it is always going to divide groups. It's going to divide them into the ones who are truly committed and to the one who are simply confessors. Hello? It's going to divide those two groups. You're going to see the ones that are really committed because when they hear the word of God, their hearts are going to be broken. The ones who were just confessing, ah, you know, whatever, let them pray. Let them worry about it. So what was the response? Because this was a radical response, y'all. In chapter 10, you will find that the people come to them and they communicate something. He tells them this. He says, look, you've prayed. He says, but you know what? He said, there's still hope for Israel. Here's what we need to do. Everybody who has married someone from outside of Israel and had children, this, 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 is, this is what real repentance is. They're going to get divorced. Did you hear that? Now, let me, let me, let, let me say something because I know some folks are crazy like I'm telling someone to get divorced today. That is not what I'm saying. That, is, that, 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 that principle is not for today. Well, I, I know what will fix my problem, a divorce. <laughs> no, repentance will fix your problem. Listen. There was a law that was for the children of Israel. And they said just like this. The law said, you are not to intermarry. You don't take their daughters or their sons. You, you, don't, you don't do that. You, you, you do not intermarry because you don't mix what is holy with what is unholy. That was the principle. But this is their radical response, church. Their radical response is this. Now bring it into perspective. This is 59 years later. There's plenty of children, family, everything is good. We've been living together, having a good time. Everything is wonderful, just like we've been living. And now Ezra comes up on the scene, inspection happens, and you've got a choice to make. You can choose God or you can choose your family. Did you hear me? You can choose God, you can choose God's law, you can choose God's blessing, or you can choose the comfort that you've been experiencing for the last however many years you've been married with children. So you have a choice to make. How does that apply to us? Well, obviously, I'm not telling you to get divorced. That's not what I'm talking about. But what about our lifestyles? How about that? 
Remember, I told you, turn the preacher back on. I know, I know you think you don't need help, glory to God, but turn me back on just for a moment. Hallelujah. What about our lifestyles? What about the things that we have become so accustomed to doing? That we have become so comfortable in doing. The things that we are just good. It's, you know, th- th- this is just how we live. What about those things, church? Oh, what, 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 what about those things that my spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, we won't put a gender on it. Because, you know, some husbands are just as unholy as some wives. Glory to God. And vice versa. What about... The things that me and my honey bear have been enjoying together since before we got married. And now we know that they're unrighteous. And I've decided that I want to live righteous before God, but they haven't. That doesn't mean you get a divorce. That doesn't mean you get disrespectful. It doesn't mean that you get all holy moly on them. It simply means you put your foot down and you say, I can't control you, but I can decide what I'm going to do. And I am not going to partake in that. I'm not going to do that even though it makes you happy, even though we enjoyed it. That is not godly. Because I want to make sure that I'm right and that I'm walking in alignment with God Almighty. Hello, somebody. What about those things that we enjoy to do as a family? What about those things that we like doing in our workplace? What about those activities that we like to partake of that we know they are not godly? But again, we just look at the word of God. The word of God comes in and we just go on ahead and say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Hello, somebody. I mean, look at our, our, our life is all right. You know, they, they, you know, mm-hmm. hear me, church. This is what it's about. He said something. He said they mixed the holy seed with something that was unholy. Well, present day, this word is the holy seed. Hello. And, you know, we can go ahead and we can try to mix this with reasoning and we can try to mix this up with some psychology and we can call what. Listen, hear me, church. Sin is sin, according to the Bible, from, the, from, from way back in the day to present day. Hello. Sin is sin. We just stopped calling it that. We called it low self-esteem, right? We called it depression, right? I, I'm not saying being depressed is sin. I'm just saying that, well, you know, that, that's all. Oh, it, 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 the, the, the source is sin. And until we deal with sin, we're not going to walk the way that God wants us to. We're not going to experience the peace. We're not going to experience the joy. It is imperative that we look at this word and that we don't mix it with with false stuff, with stuff that just makes us feel good because it ain't all good. Hello? This is what they did. They had a radical response to what God wanted for them. And here's the last thing that I want you to, or last scripture I want you to turn to is in the book of Matthew, chapter 10. And I am closing right now. The book of Matthew chapter 10. The word of God comes in in this situation with Ezra. When the word of God enters in, it divides these groups. And if you read the story, you can continue to read it, and you'll find that there was, everybody was in agreement except a couple of people, and that's going to happen, and it's okay. They don't have to be in agreement. They can do their own thing. 
But we need to walk in agreement and in alignment with what, with what God's word says. And I want you to look at verse 34, please, in chapter 10. When you got it, say amen. And this is what the word of the Lord says here. It says, and this is Jesus speaking red letters, so this is crystal clear. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Hold on a second. Let's pause there. I, I, I thought Jesus was just bringing peace. Just making everybody giggle and smile. Is, is, isn't that what Jesus is about? Just to bless you and just, isn't that, isn't that all it's about? Mm-hmm. He said, don't think that. Don't let that be your mindset because that's not the truth. He says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come, <laughs> this, is, this is insane right here if you think about this, to set a man against his father. So what does Jesus want someone to fight? Is that what he wants? That, 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 that isn't what he's saying. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He goes on to say, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus is telling us that what we see happening in the book of Ezra, this radical response to the truth of God that we see occurring in the book of Ezra is the same radical response that needs to occur in our lives today. When he says he's bringing this sword and he says he's coming to turn folks against each other, the reason why they're going to turn against each other is not because they are going to hate one another. It is because they are going to hate sin, church. They are going to hate the things that God hates. They are going to hate the things that do not bring glory to God. Therefore, when I decide that I want to stand up for what is right, and I want to do what is right, and I am not willing to compromise the truth of God, guess what's going to happen? The first ones that are going to oppose me are the ones that are closest to me. Oh, trust me, I've seen it tons of times. You know, the folks, you talk to people, and they yes you to death, and then they just don't show up no more. You know what? Your family ain't got that choice. Did you hear what I just said? See, I can get up here today and I can get all radical and crazy and, you know, all this stuff. But you know what? My, my, my family, I could say, look, I, I could say this one. From now on, we're going to have prayer at 6 a.m. in this church every day of the week. I could say that. And I, and, and I would be well within my right to say that. Glory to God. I'd probably be alone most of the time, but I would be all right to say it, right? But you know what? You could yes me to death. You could amen me to death because I've had it happen up plenty, plenty, and plenty of times. You know, yes, amen, everyone is stirred up, and then we have prayer, and what, three or four people show up? Not good. But here's, here's, here's the reality. See, the reality is you can not show up. My wife and my daughter, they're going to show up. You know why? Because I am Jason Quinones, the leader of that household. Hello, sir. Not Bishop. Jason Quinones. Glory to God. The leader of that house. And you know what? My house is going to follow in alignment with what I decide. Amen? What did Joshua say? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Why? Because they're they, they going to serve God. I'm going to beat them into it. Hello. Joshua wasn't playing. He was like, Yo, you, you, Joshua was a warrior, okay, glory to God. And they, they knew we ain't going to mess with Pop because he's serious about this thing. We're we, we not going to try to buck the system. As long as we're living in his house and in his tribe, we're going to do this thing right, glory to God. Listen, the greatest enemies is going to be them, church. So don't be surprised when you decide you want to start having prayer. 
You decide you want to start, you know, being in the word of God more. You decide that you want to start attending, you know, all of the services, glory to God, because we have so many services in this church, praise the Lord. <laughs> You, 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 you decide you want to be connected in fellowship. You decide you want to start evangelizing. You decide, when, when you decide all of that stuff, listen, I, I'm, I'm letting you know right now, the sword will be drawn. And then you're really going to see who really wants God and who doesn't want God. You're really going to find that out. And you and I have got to be willing to stand alone for the truth that we know is what God is saying. Hello, church. Radical response. Can't love anything, can't love anyone more than you love him. Can't love your own life because if you do, you're going to lose it. If you love your own life more than you love him, you are going to lose it. Listen, I hate to disappoint a whole lot of folks, but this book is not just a book about how you can be blessed. Did you hear what I just said? Because I, I, I know that, you know, our, our today-a-day preacher, that that's just what this is about. This is just about how to be blessed. We, we've just turned this book into some self-help situation. Listen, this book is about us dying to ourselves. Hello. This book is about a Jesus that was prophesied all the way throughout the Old Testament. He came in this book in, 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 the, in, in, in the fullness throughout the Gospels, and he lived the life and demonstrated to us what life was really supposed to be about. And then he resurrected, and you know what he's calling? He's calling us to live that same life. Hello. Built to last, church. We want to build stuff that is going to last. And the only way that it's going to do that is if God is the source of that building. And so the question is this. What is it that is out of alignment in your life? What is it that is out of alignment in your life? I mean, be for real with yourself. Don't, don't just sit there and, you know, I mean, think about it for a moment. What is it that is hindering you from knowing God more? What is it that is hindering you from experiencing more of God? And here, let me, let, 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 let me help you out. Don't look at him or her, them or they. Don't look at the job. Don't, no, no, no. Look at you. What is hindering you, church? Look, you want to talk about being in a, in, in a messed up situation? You remember Paul and Silas in the book of Acts? You remember them guys? Remember when they got beaten, they got dragged up in the jail? You want to talk about a time where, you know what, it was them that was hindering me from experience of God. It was they that was keeping me from all, it was all, all them. And you know what they did? When they got themselves locked up, and, you know, we, we, we think about it today. Look, they were in serious pain, legs spread out. They, they, they weren't in a comfortable position, thrown into the inner, the depth of the prison. What did they do? Sat there and complained and said, I can't have more of God. No, that isn't what they did, church. They began to sing praises unto the Lord, and they began to pray. They began to glorify God, and because they were unwilling to let go of God, they brought down the glory of God in that prison to the degree that the foundations were shaken, the doors were burst open, chains were loosed because of what? Because of people who decided it's not their fault. It's not them that are going to, they are not going to hinder me from experiencing and giving glory to the almighty God it's not going to be them they were in that situation church and so the question is are you going to be that tenacious about your God are you going to be that tenacious that desirous to know him to remove whatever the obstacles are that's what God is calling for everybody stand to your feet please and bow your heads